You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Welcome, everyone, to Fan Rag Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior, and we've got uh, a good show today. Lots of uh, fun facts, a lot of news to cover, and a lot of twins analysis to take a look at. So, uh, hope you uh, stick around for the full hour. We got a lot uh, going on here, and we're even going to talk about some fantasy games that we don't typically. spend a lot of time on here. We talk about rotisserie. We spend some time talking about the head-to-head formats, but not so much uh, sim games. But my guest today is Brandon Warren. He writes for, for Fangraphs. Uh, you can uh, find him uh, elsewhere. Uh, and uh, I know Brandon, among other places, through a score sheet league. So we're going to talk a little bit uh, sim league strategy as well. So with no further delay, Brandon, thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, thanks for having me on. Uh, yeah, and uh, excited to talk about the Twins with you as well. Um, Brandon, maybe you can uh, fill us in on where we can uh, uh, find uh, all of your work. Well, so I write for Fangraphs on the Roto side on, on Thursdays. I'll have a column going up later today on a few guys that I like more than most based on NFBC draft spots. But then I also, one of my primary things is that I cover the Minnesota Twins for a website called Zone Coverage. And so I've been doing that now. This is my third season with them. And so full season credential and all that fun stuff. So we get to do on-site reporting from Target Field. And it helps me a lot with uh, with knowing more about not only the Twins, but the players that come through uh, as far as fantasy-wise. Well, you know, and I, I handed that off to you. And I, I apologize because I know that up to a point that that site was called Cold Omaha, correct? Up until about a month ago, then they reskinned it as zone coverage presented by Cold Omaha, and it's a way to separate what will be our day-to-day analysis from our longer-form stuff. Okay. I just wanted to make sure that we got yep. that out yep. there correctly, so I sure. uh, appreciate that. Uh, all right, Brandon. Well, uh, we will get to that Twins analysis a little later in the show, but let's start as we typically do here with the latest news. And according to MLB.com, Carlos Carrasco uh, is set to play some light catch today. Of course, it was reported uh, within a day or so ago that he has swelling in his right elbow, is revealed by an MRI, and he will almost certainly miss his next spring training start. So uh, we'll see how it goes today with catch, uh, assuming that that does take place. And if all goes well there, he should be able to throw uh, in either a minor league game or a sim game within a few days. So are you uh, downgrading Carrasco at this point, or are you in wait-and-see mode? Yeah, I mean, it's wait and see, but this isn't necessarily a guy that's been a big innings guy to begin with. You know, obviously, for different reasons, whether it's getting hit, you know, with a line drive or anything like that, but also worked as a reliever. You know, he was kind of one of those post-hype sleepers that came back from all that. And so, uh, you know, I did see Jordan Bastian suggest that they won't need a fifth starter until mid-April so they can bring him along slowly. That will... You know, moving him back to the fifth spot, we'll ding him a few innings there as well. You know, I'm still expecting, I think, 165, 160 innings out of him. And they'll obviously be high-quality innings. I, I really like him a lot. I like that rotation a lot. But if you're looking for 180, 190 innings, like you might have, I think the steamer projection had him at 190 at first. Yeah, that might be a little disappointing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um I actually haven't moved him at all yet, and part of it is a, a wait-and-see mentality mm-hmm. on my part. 
but also uh, some of it is just that the the upper ranks of pitchers that are reliable and healthy and give you innings, they've gotten very, very thin. And I've said before on the show, I have a list of 17 starters that I consider uh, reliable enough to use as a number one or number two starter. That's now down now to 16 because I just can't include David Price among that group anymore. And I just don't I don't want to uh, depopulate it any further. So, yeah, no, um, that's true. Yeah, so you know, if I had a draft this afternoon, I don't. But if I did, and I I didn't get to see how that throwing session went or get a, any news before that draft, I'd I'd take a flyer on him as a number two. Uh, it'd be you know, he'd be one of the last guys I'd do that with. But at least for now, I'm I'm not downgrading him out of that top sixteen. No, I think I agree with that too. It's it's obviously going to be quality. It's just a matter of quantity. And and yeah, like you said, if he throws in a minor league game here in the next few days, they probably don't have to bring him along as slowly. And then it, you know, they can manipulate that fifth starter spot with with somebody much lower down the totem pole, whether it's Trevor Bauer or, or someone else. Yeah, yeah. So, um, well, good to know I'm not uh, on on Carrasco Island here. So, uh, <laughs> exactly. we still have to watch that situation, and you know, we'll certainly have. Uh, you know, most of us will have drafts. I do. Uh, you know, much closer to opening day, so this could change. Now, according to Masson, Max Scherzer is saying that uh, he is ready to test his three finger fastball grip, and so he's going to do so in a minor league game today. Uh, MLB.com reports that Mark, Matt Carpenter now feels 100%, or at least that's his own assessment, and he is aiming to play tomorrow, play Friday for Carpenter. So uh, that uh, would be a good development there. I haven't really downgraded Carpenter either. I've been been waiting on him as well. So uh, how about you, Brandon? If, is this a, a game changer for you at all? No, not really. I haven't had any Carpenter come up on any of my drafts so far. I'm about halfway through my drafts right now. I think I'll end up doing six or seven. And, you know, just he just hasn't surfaced. He just isn't a, a real make-or-break guy for me. But, no, at this point, um, I still feel pretty confident that uh, that he's going to be just just fine and ready to go. And if he fell into my lap, I certainly wouldn't complain. He's, he's obviously a very, very good player. But, um, you know, right now I'm just – I'm not terribly worried about him. Yeah. Well, you and I – well, actually, I take, take that back. I was going to say we've done one draft together. Actually, we've done two. Uh, one is that score sheet draft that I uh, referred to earlier, which is a slow draft. But we've done a uh, a real time draft together for fantasy pros, and I got Carpenter in that league. So uh, I know you didn't get up there, uh, but <laughs> I actually remember some of the chatter on the uh, in the in the chat room being uh, people were a little surprised I went that early for him, and that was really that was a very early draft. So that was really before I think most people were you know concerned about him from a health perspective. Also a fun uh, draft, uh, a lot of fun. I, I really enjoyed that one. Yeah, that was was a good draft. We were back to back, so there was there was a little bit of sniping going on there. Uh, with well, I, I I like hearing that I snipe people, especially in score sheet too, which we'll get to later. But I love hearing that I snipe people. It, it kind of touches one of those nerves deep within me as a fantasy player. So like, yeah, I got that guy that you wanted, and, and I, I I I I need that my ego like that stroked just so often <laughs> to keep me. To keep me really engaged, and, and I, I doubt that I'm alone, but I might be one of the only people that will admit that publicly. But you know what? Uh, everybody's got an ego to some extent, and they like to have it stroked. So I'm, I, I don't think I'm an exception there, but uh, maybe I am. If, if, if there's anybody who says that they don't enjoy hearing that they've sniped somebody, I, I don't think I believe them. <laughs> don't trust them. Don't trust them. They're lying to you. That's right. I, I'm pretty sure that's true. <laughs> 
Uh, all right, some more injury news. Uh, we've got plenty of it. Uh, Yasmani Tomas has a strained oblique, but he may only miss a few more days in addition to uh, the several days that he's already missed. Uh, MLB.com is reporting that Sal- Salvador Perez's knee is fine, but that he hyperextended his elbow in the collision that hurt his knee, and it's the elbow injury that's actually going to sideline him for uh, at least another week. Now, we talked about Perez, I think, on the most recent show, uh, back when the concern was more around his knee. But uh, I was really sort of sour on Perez coming into this year because of workload concerns and a declining batting average. So this this certainly doesn't help. Uh, would you would you uh, look to target Perez as your number one catcher or, or your soldier in a one-catcher league? No. Um, I just I don't trust the approach at the plate. I, I was crunching some numbers on Eddie Rosario yesterday and I think Perez is the worst or second worst as far as walk rate uh, among all hitters with at least I think it was 800 plate appearances there's 200 hitters and so you know obviously that's not going to matter much in a non-OBP league but I just don't trust the approach and that he can't be you know exploited in and out of the strike zone he's going to give you some thump Uh, he's going to play every day which which is both a blessing and a curse and you know uh, even coming off this injury too you, you see him get hurt and you're thinking can this guy actually get injured? He's almost like the Brett Favre of catchers. Like you think he's down for the count and all of a sudden he rallies and he's just ready to, to go like the next day or in this case, spring training, he'll be fine probably by the beginning of the regular season. And it's just incredible how durable he is. But at the same time too, like you can't, you can't help but wonder if Ned Yost is just going to grind him into a pulp and he'll be one of those guys that just falls off. So I, I don't really want any part of that. Uh, I'm looking for a little more dynamic offensive bat. You know, whether it's really going high for Buster Posey or like a JT Realmuto who's going to steal some bases for you or, you know, playing it a little bit lower, too. You know, there's there's some guys that are a little lower on the list that are interesting as well. You know, or you could end up with a Jonathan Lucroy, who's obviously got a good bat as well. There's just so many guys that I prefer to him that I'm just staying away. Yeah, I have not yet uh, in my I think I've done seven drafts up to this point. I've just got a couple more. But I don't think I've gone high on catcher in a single one. And uh, I think it's just the way that things have played out. I don't think it's necessarily uh, how uh, you know I've, I've intended to do things. Well, in our Yahoo but... League, I went high with both. I got Buster and Gary Sanchez because it was a two-catcher league. Wow. And so I thought, I thought it was catchers and closers, which is obviously a very weird strategy. But, I mean, if you're talking about guys lower that I like better – uh, Brian McCann, I like better than Salvador Perez. He's going, let's see, 40 picks lower. I love Yasmani Grandal. That's going to be my guy in that, that Rotograph post that I teased earlier. He's going about a round or a round and a half later. And uh, Grandal, just to me, is a more dynamic bat. And so for, for that, uh, even Russell Martin, who hasn't had a, you know, a, great offense, uh, a great offensive presence recently, but you know, he's got on-base skills, and, and when things are going well, he can, he can really hit. Um, you know, that's the guy I'm looking at probably before Salvador Perez, even though Perez is going ahead of most of those guys in, in drafts. Yeah, and, and that's exactly the key to why I, I'm avoiding him as well and don't see drafting him as a top catcher, you know, top 12 catcher, because uh, several of the catchers that you named, Brian McCann, um, Yasmani Grandal, you, I don't think you mentioned uh, Russell Martin. I'd throw him in there uh, well into Castillo. You want to go maybe a little bit lower floor, Mike Zanino. They all fit sort of a, a similar offensive profile of uh, selling out for power. 
Well, and, and I just think I just think there are guys who do it better and more productively than Perez. Yeah, even Messerocco, who's going twenty first, I'm keeping an eye on. Obviously, he hasn't given you anything in the last two years, but I did see him a, a video that was posted by maybe C. Trosencrans of him doing plyometric exercises to show that his hip was healthy. If his hip is healthy, he might be a real steal. He's my third catcher in one of my auto new leagues. And, uh, you know, I'll take, a, I'll take a gamble like that anytime on a guy that when he's right is going to give you some offense. Uh, yeah, and no, I like that move a lot. And, and similarly, uh, to get Wilson Ramos maybe as a third catcher. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think yep. both have yep. some great upside if they, if they can prove to be healthy uh, for, for a, a decent enough chunk of the season. All right, well, we got uh, just a few more uh, notes to cover here. Uh, Anthony Desclafani, we've uh, been talking about him, I think, just about every show as his situation has progressed. He's now been diagnosed with a sprained UCL. So here's a situation where he was initially day-to-day. It wasn't deemed serious. Now he's going to be shut down for a minimum of four weeks. So uh, that's not good news for Desclafani. And, and as recently as Monday's show, I was talking with my colleague Jim Finch, and we agreed that we weren't really downgrading him. And, you know, we, we thought that he was, you know, given where Desclafani's going, he was good value. Uh, would you target him at all at this point in a 12-team mixed league? Oh, that's tough. I mean, he's obviously got a safe spot when he's healthy, but the UCL, you know, obviously the next step on an injury like that is Tommy John and he kills your season. Um, you know, maybe as a fourth or fifth guy, you know, I'd be interested if he, he'd really have to fall. What, what I'm most interested about in that situation is if it gets Robert Stevenson a chance to break camp with the team. Uh, the, the rotation's interesting. I, I mean, I like Brandon Finnegan and I like Cody Reed and Stevenson's obviously interesting. So while I hate the idea that Desclafani had to go down to, to you know, this UCL sprain, I do like the collateral damage to, to see some guys that we might not have seen otherwise. But uh, as far yeah. as Desclafani is concerned, I might, I might stay hands-off, honestly. Yeah, I, I would at this point, too. Uh, I've already got shares in him so far, but going forward, I, I don't think I would. And um, just a couple other quick notes as we head into break here. Martin Prado got hurt last night uh, against the U.S. Uh, for Venezuela in the World Baseball Classic. Uh, he's got uh, a hamstring strain. He'll have the uh, Marlins medical team evaluate that. And according to the Denver Post, Tom Murphy's got a hairline fracture in his right forearm. He he is out for four to six weeks. So uh, bad news there for Tom Murphy. So, uh, well, we're uh, out of time in this segment, so we're going to head to break, but we're going to come back and take a look at some of the standout spring training performances from the last day or so. So stay tuned. Welcome back to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior, and joining me today from FanGraphs is uh, Brandon Warren. And uh, we have just uh, wrapped up the news, uh, but we have not uh, dipped into uh, some of the recent performances on the field. So uh, we're going to take a look at those. I just want to start with a couple very, very recent performances, as in just within the last uh, hour or two. In fact, uh, just before the show, uh, I was watching the Twins and the Cardinals, and I wanted to take a look at Trevor Rosenthal. Didn't give up any runs in two innings. So first of all, just you know, a two-inning performance for Rosenthal. But walked a couple of batters in the first inning. So uh, not to overreact to one two-inning performance. It's more just sort of validation of how I see things going as it is. But uh, this is Michael Waka's job. Uh, wouldn't you think, Brandon? Yeah. I mean, what else do you do with Waka? You know, 
you put him in the bullpen, you're kind of putting each guy in a spot where they haven't been their strongest. And, uh, you know, and also you mentioned the command with, with Rosenthal, like that's, that's basically the difference between when he's great and when he's awful. So even though you can't take a ton away from these spring training games, you know, it's small things like that where you're like, man, you know, is this really the best idea? And if Waka's shoulder's healthy, I think you got to have him in the rotation. Yeah, and, you know, he certainly hasn't done anything this spring, I think, to dissuade the, the Cardinals from from uh, putting him back in the rotation. And, you know, uh, both Rosenthal and Luke Weaver slowed down uh, by some injuries. So uh, I was sort of looking forward to Luke Weaver having a real a real shot at it. But uh, I think Waka is, is, is back, back in form and uh, don't see him going anywhere other than the rotation. And another start uh, had an eye on. This one wasn't uh, televised, at least uh, not a, a feed that I had access to. But um, Luis Sessa, not a good outing for him. One and two-thirds innings, four runs on six hits and a walk. Um, and this was a situation I wrote on yesterday for fan graphs, uh, or I'm sorry, for, for fan rag, um, writing a piece on five of the more prominent position battles that they could have some standard mixed league fallout. And so the Yankees, they've got two spots open at the back of the rotation, five competitors. Luis Severino is the main one that I'm interested in in terms of a 12-team mixed league. But Sessa, I would think, uh, certainly didn't didn't help his cause here. And if he is somebody who gets one of those two spots, I, I probably wouldn't be drafting him outside of really deep leagues anyway. So do you have a, uh, a particular favorite in that uh, rotation derby? I mean, I, I've been keeping an eye on Sessa. I think he's interesting just because the slider is good. Uh, Chad Green is interesting, too. Uh, you know, obviously, they, they knew exactly what they were doing when they traded Justin Wilson to Detroit. They wanted some guys that could help them fill out a rotation that was going to lose guys pretty quickly. Could be even thinner after this year with Tanaka able to opt out and Sabathia, I think, in his last year as well. So it's going to be interesting. Even if these guys don't crack the rotation now, they've obviously got a very – near future. I, I think Severino is probably a lead pipe lock as long as he doesn't do anything to completely fall on his face, just because I think he's obviously skill wise, maybe not results wise, the, the best option. And then, yeah, as far as the other guys, you know, Adam Warren's a little interesting, Brian Mitchell as well. I, I really like Tessa. Again, I said uh, the slider's interesting. Uh, fastball's not too bad either, but um, I don't know. I, don't, I, I just, I don't know how you'd handicap it at this point. I wonder if they won't go with Warren due to, experience and then let some of the younger guys kind of force their hand as the season goes on. Yeah. Well, as I wrote the piece, that's actually the outcome I'm rooting for. And partly just from a short-term fantasy perspective that Warren's been pretty good as a starter and he's somebody you could in a head to head league, you could slide to a relief spot and I think he'd be pretty productive there, but also that swingman experience that he has, I would think that one, if not both of James Caprillion and chance Adams would be ready by midseason, and so that would be, I think, an easy move to just slide Warren in, into the uh, bullpen at that point. I'm not sure. Well, and if room. we, yeah, yeah. Well, if we, and if, even if we, as as you know, number of people don't value experience as much, you know, as opposed to maybe pitch effects or velocity or anything, teams seem to do that. You know, it's the same thing with the Twins, who might go with Ryan Vogelsong as their fifth starter, even though he's not really that inspiring of a choice. But if you don't start him for nine days and then you're going to Toronto, you know, a tough place to pitch on the road, you can just drop a veteran guy like that in that start. And you don't have to worry about nerves or any kind of flare-ups. You know, maybe maybe you won't pitch all that well, 
but it won't kill your bullpen. You can let that guy go five or six innings and, and, and just kind of wear it. And, and teams value that, uh, for better or worse. Well, I wasn't going to go there right away, but since you're steering us <laughs> in this direction, let's talk about Adalberto Mejia's start from yesterday. Just a sensational three and two-thirds scoreless innings, no walks, eight strikeouts. And this is somebody who, for most of his uh, minor league career in the Giants system, was more of a pitch-to-contact guy, really good control. But last year, he did get swings and misses uh, at a higher rate. And, uh, you know, again, just one spring start, but... You know, maybe it does confirm a trend with him. Uh, so really two questions with Mejia. Do you think he, he cracks the opening day squad? And second, whenever he does settle in, do you think he's somebody that fantasy owners could actually look to for strikeouts? I still don't think he's going to, but I think it's telling. You know, they had him and Tyler Duffy, two of the guys competing, starting on the same day early in spring training as like a tandem because they don't need so many innings. And then they were going to split them up, have one go to the minor league side and, and make his start, and then one uh, start in the big league side. Obviously, Mejia got that first crack. They may flip-flop those guys here to now let each of them pitch you know, in, uh, in the uh, alternate environment. But Mejia didn't do anything yesterday to, to really dissuade them from taking a look at him if that's the, the direction they're thinking about going. And... My, my initial reaction was, you know, he didn't really face a murderer's role of, of Cardinals. But I think one through six is all guys that are going to make that team and, and probably play quite a bit. Guys like Aledmus Diaz and Colton Wong and Piscotti and Grichik. You know, so he, he did see some guys that are obviously going to play quite a bit, and he carved them up pretty good. You know, he's got good command, pretty good stuff, works from the left side, which, which never hurts. You know, it's, it's going to be a body type thing if he can stay in shape. But if, if he comes up, in really deep leagues, I'd be interested because he, he kind of is like, you know, just a ready-made, out-of-the-box number five starter. He should be pretty safe as far as his skill set goes. And then, you know, the ceiling, if he puts everything together, might be as a decent number three or four starter. But there isn't a lot of risk. And there's leagues where, you know, you want to go risk-averse towards the back of your uh, rotation. He could be a pretty nice pickup, you know, if you're in a 16, 18, 20 team. Or, you know, I've done some of those where, you're you know, you're really scraping – the bottom of the barrel to find guys, you know, the Ricky Nolasco's of the world. Mejia could be a nice pickup in a league like that if, you, if you're prospecting just a little bit. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree with that. Well, let's stick in the, uh, stay in the AL Central and uh, stick to the back of the rotation. The Tigers, uh, sort of an interesting tandem yesterday. They started uh, Jordan Zimmerman, only lasted two-thirds of an inning, only made uh, 40 pitches, I believe, uh, and although for two-thirds of an inning, uh, the pretty horrendous pitch count, and gave up four runs. And then later on the game, uh, Anibal Sanchez came in, tossed four perfect innings with five strikeouts uh, after otherwise just a miserable performance this spring. So, you know, I, I state the caveat over and over and over again that I try not to get too uh, hyped up about any single performance but when you have situations that are in flux, and I think that the Tigers' rotation is such a situation, you know, maybe uh, a, a day like this does represent a, a turning point where maybe Sanchez, who just recently made some mechanical adjustments, maybe he's found something. And what does this mean for him? What does this mean for Matt Boyd? Uh, what does this mean for Jordan Zimmerman? I mean, supposedly he was not left to work things out more as a precaution than uh, having hit some kind of pitch limit but not, not a good sign for him. So how do you size up this whole uh, Tiger situation? 
well, it's kind of amazing how much money they have tied up in a couple of guys that are question marks, if you ask me. And, uh, you know, really the only guy that I think I would discount at this point is Mike Pelfrey, obviously a guy I've seen a lot of. And I really do think Pelfrey's stuff would play up in the bullpen. I've been saying that for a long time. You know, he throws hard. He's got a pretty good split. Uh, his breaking ball kind of comes and goes. But I don't know. I, I would really like to see Boyd. Uh, you know, I think Norris is going to be in there, but I would really like to see Boyd get a shot. It's just I think they have too much money tied up in, in Zimmerman and Sanchez not to give them as much as they can handle. You know, I wonder if Zimmerman is fully healthy. He seems to be battling some things. And that's obviously a red flag this early into his contract. You know, a big mega deal like that if they're, you know, worried about health or worried about effectiveness. So uh, I think they want to find a way to, to get Zimmerman going. And I think they would do that at the expense of Sanchez, who's got a lot less money and a lot less time left on his deal. But if Sanchez vastly outpitches him, they're going to have to make something happen because, you know, it's, it's going to be a division where they're going to be chasing all year long. I think Cleveland is going to run away with it. Um, I think at least that's the expectation. You know, you can't afford to dig a big hole trying to figure things out. And that, the, the issue I have is that Boyd's pitch, pitch effects, obviously uh, really good change-up, really good slider, this is a guy that can help you. And if, if they dig a hole with their high money guys trying to figure out what they've got against, you know, just going with your five best guys, you know, that, that can dig a hole you can't get out of. So as far as handicapping it, I'm still not totally sure how to do that, but um, it, it, it's just, it's an unfortunate situation because they're two big money guys might be the ones that should be on the outside looking in based on pitchability and effectiveness to start the season. Yeah, and uh, you mentioned Pelfrey. Uh, last year, he was a frustration to myself and to uh, many other owners I knew because uh, you know he was was taking a rotation spot that could have been used for at times Daniel Norris, uh, at other times uh, Boyd, and uh, you know there just seemed to be a preference there for a, a quote unquote proven veteran um, that I don't think it, it helped the team and it certainly did not endear uh, Brad Osmus to fantasy owners. So. Uh, I don't know if they'll they'll uh, give a longer leash to to Zimmerman uh, this year. You know, as a result of that pattern. Now, um, when we do these uh, standouts, I do like to give a little attention to somebody who's really sort of uh, off the radar or, or not very far onto it. Uh, Brock Stacy has five home runs. I don't know if this is still the case, but as of two days ago, he was tied for the spring training lead, batting three eighty two. Did go hitless on Wednesday, but still a 382 average with five home runs. Tommy Joseph hurt. Not expected to be serious, but uh, will Stacy matter, you think, even in uh, deep leagues this year? I mean, it's tough because a guy like that is really going to have to hit if he's going to get any playing time on that team. Uh, I, I, I tend to lean no, just because National League, you know, obviously there's no DH, so they can't really slide him in there. But um, I'm willing to be wrong. I, I'm famous for saying that on Twitter and and on, on audio appearances like this, but I, I'm trying not to buy the hype of spring training, you know, like the Luke Hughes from a few years ago where he hit eight home runs, I think in February and all that. Um, I, I'm going to err on the side of caution, but if he does, I will be happy to be wrong in this case. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's always fun, but yeah, there's, uh, you know, the Luke Hughes and the, the Abraham Nunez of the world. Uh, and we never exactly. get them again. So I <laughs> uh, got to keep it in perspective. So, well, uh, speaking of perspective, when we come back from break, we're going to take a look at the Twins and go up and down the lineup and the, the pitching staff and see uh, where everybody stands for 2017. So uh, stick around, and we'll be right back. 
Welcome back to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Alan Melchior, and I'm joined today by Brandon Warren of FanGraphs. And uh, Brandon also writes about the Twins. So, uh, and again, Brandon, I'm sorry, what is, what is the new brand uh, branding of, of your site? Zone coverage. So it's, uh, so it's zone coverage presented by Cold Omaha. So we're keeping Cold right. Omaha in the mix, but yeah, zone coverage. All right. So yeah, zone coverage. So you can catch Brandon's uh, writings on the twins there. Great stuff. And, uh, you know, I think it's a very interesting team, interesting roster. And it was a team that I was very, very over, uh, overly optimistic about a year ago. I actually had them picked to win a wild card spot because I just oh, wow. uh, thought, yeah, I thought uh, Sano might emerge and, and uh, you know, maybe Buxton would have his breakout and Kepler. You know, I just, I like the young core there. And, um, you know, Barrios, I, I was far too optimistic about him and thought that Phil Hughes could bounce back. And, you know, I just thought in, in the central, they, they stacked up kind of nicely and I, I could not have been more wrong. So uh, this year, though, I think of some of those players that I had too high expectations for, Maybe this year they come closer to fulfilling those. So I'm, I'm yeah. not picking picking them to be in the wild card hunt, but I think there are some interesting fantasy players there. So let's let's start with uh, yeah, I think well the face of the franchise probably uh, would be Joe Mauer, but the fantasy face of the franchise, Brian Dozier. Are you are you expecting regression? I feel like that's almost an obvious question, and I, I would actually rather ask how much regression are you expecting? But but. I'll, I'll leave it uh, an open-ended question. Is is he going to regress? I think if if he can be somewhere in between the last two years, you know, maybe hit 250, 30 some home runs, and, and play pretty good second base defense, that would probably be a pretty fair outcome. You know, the batting average on balls and play went up. He is kind of a fly ball in the air guy. Obviously, you have to be if you're going to hit 42 home runs, set the organizational record for extra base hits, but. I don't think anybody's expecting a, a repeat performance, but you know what he gives you is day in and day out. He plays 150 games for three straight years. And, and then the year before that, 147, um, you know, he's, he's, he's going to be there. Excuse me one second. <laughs> you know, he's going to be there every single day. And the amazing part about last year is if you look at what he was doing for the first six weeks or so, you know, hitting around the Mendoza line with an OPS right around 600. And then he was absolute wildfire the rest of the way. And the previous rap on him was that he faded late in the season. So, honestly, you know, he, if he puts together one full solid season, I think you probably are going to see something in between the last two years. You know, maybe a uh, 350 weighted on base average. But, um, you know, he's a really nice player. Just don't expect 40 home runs again. Do you think he spends the whole year with the Twins? Well, that's tough because obviously Jorge Polanco is probably better suited to play second base than short. You know, it's one of those deals where if he has a really strong season, I don't think the value drops that much because the team that gets him is still going to have a chance to have a full year with him, offer him a qualifying offer if they can't get a deal done, you know, as far as extending him. And, you know, obviously then he's proven that he wasn't exactly a fluke. And again, the offers weren't that great. You know, the, the publicized offer of Jose De Leon and, and not much more, there's no reason they can't get more than that if he is, you know, if he's got 25 home runs by the break or 20 home runs by the break and you'll get close to the trade deadline. So I, I still think the, the goal will be to keep him in Minnesota, the stated goal, but I think quietly Derek Falvey and Thad Levine are thinking, 
you know what, if somebody blows the roof off with two top hundred prospects that, uh, that can help us in the next year or two, they'll probably pull the trigger. So it's, it's probably 50, 50 for me at this point. Okay. Well, yeah, I think that's mostly a concern. Like you say, not so much losing productivity where he goes, but if you're thinking AL only, uh, you know, is, is right. that a risk? Yeah, especially, especially if it's like the Braves or something, you know, if, if the Braves decide that they're contending and Brandon Phillips isn't playing well and they, they want to supplement without bringing up Ozzy Albies, yeah, you yes. can lose some production in a real hurry in July if you're an AL. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a remote thing to think about, but, uh, you know, maybe a, a tiebreaker. Uh, well, let's get back to that core of young players. Uh, Miguel Sano, I mentioned, Byron Buxton, Max Kepler. How much upside is there left? I think with Sano, that's a, a tougher question because we've, you know, we've seen him quite a bit now at the major league level. But is there another level for him and uh, also for, for Kepler and Buxton? I think Kepler, excuse me, <clears throat> excuse me is going to be a really nice player. Um, obviously a very polished swing from the left side. You know, it, he faded pretty hard to end the season. But he had a stretch there where he looked like a legitimate all-star. It, it's going to come down to how well he can handle lefties because he said stretches in the minors where he couldn't hit lefties at all. And then he won the Southern League MVP in 2015 and, and had a really nice year against them. So it, it's kind of amazing to see that much fluidity in a, how a guy handles same-sided pitchers. But, you know, he, he plays a capable defensive outfield, so you don't have to worry about him moving to first base only or anything like that, um, you know, unless the, the elbow issues come to roost again, which I'm not particularly worried about right now. But I, I really like Kepler in a lot of leagues. I took him in our uh, podcast league. I just think, you know, he's, he's just got such a smooth, nice swing from the left side. Uh, maybe 25 homers and 40 doubles kind of guy could hit 280 to 300. And I, know, I think people are sleeping on him just a little bit because his overall numbers don't look that great. With Sano, you know, the strikeouts are always going to be a worry. They have been this spring as well. But I, I just think the total package of talent, of still taking his walks, and, uh, and of course, the power. Um, staying at third base if he can. I think he's got the physical talent to do that. He just needs to focus a little bit more defensively. You know, that, that, that's got the potential to be a really nice player. Even if he strikes out 30% of the time, I think he's got legit 50 home run power ceiling, which you don't see in this game anymore. And with Buxton, obviously the sky's the limit. If, if he can be even close to what he was in September last year, he's a fantasy superstar. And I think this year might be one of those years where he's a three or four win player, you know, as far as fan graphs war. Maybe it's like a 720, 730 OPS. You know, so, so not terribly exciting offensively. Steal some bases. But I think it's going to be one of those stepping stone years before he becomes you know, a real dynamite player. You know, he'll, he'll have, still have to work through um, his approach, you know, working with two strikes and, and not chasing so many breaking balls out of the zone. But I think he's, he's in the transition to the point where he can become a star in the next couple of years. Now, with um, Sano, just to go back to him for a second, because uh, you mentioned a 50 home run power, and that, that takes you a long way in terms of fantasy value. That 269 rookie batting average, is he ever going to be able to approach that again? Because, like you said, he may never cut that strikeout rate down below 30%. He uh, hit close to 400 on balls in play that year, which, given how fly ball prone he is, just seemed really out of whack. And that 236 that he hit last year to me, it looks like a resting point to me. And I, I you know, that alone, it, particularly if it's a batting average league and not OBP, that's something that's probably going to make me stay away. 
I feel like the hit tool can get there, but it's, it's going to be a process. He did show the ability that rookie year to make adjustments. You know, he had a situation where he was facing Corey Kluber, laid off a couple sliders on the outside corner and then pummeled one. I think he had for a home run or an extra base hit, um, if I'm remembering correctly. And so he has the ability, um, you know, just everything that went, could have gone wrong for him last year did. It remains to be seen how much of that was playing in right field where he was obviously ill-equipped, uh, messed up his hammy running down the first baseline in Oakland and missed an entire month, which obviously hurt his production as well. I think the ability is in there for him to hit 260 year in and year out. But how many guys strike out 30% of the time and do that? I, I would have to wager it's not very many. So, yeah, you know, <clears throat> I just if he settles in at 250, I think that's where we should probably hope for. But I think his you know, 90th percentile, 95th percentile outcome is, you know, 260, 270 every year because I just believe he's got the talent. It's just a matter of can he piece it all together. Now, I had written a piece uh, a couple months back on Jorge Polanco, who's not really registering on the 12-team mixed league uh, radar. But I think in leagues that are just a little bit deeper, 14-15, he could be a factor in those drafts. And I, we had a little bit of an online exchange, and you said you really like Polanco. And mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm curious what you see. I like him, too. I find him confusing and frustrating because he's been a really good line drive hitter. Uh, but I'd like to see him put the ball on the ground a little bit more, uh, given his contact skills and his speed, uh, because he just I don't think he has quite enough power to really make a fly ball approach work for him. So I, I'm really sort of torn. I guess I'm looking for you to to convince me to uh, to go more in on uh, on Jorge Blanco. I've I've been impressed with him since I became aware of him. He came up early. You know, the Twins had to add him to the 40-man roster due to age and due to you know being signed as an amateur free agent. So they ended up bringing him up one year from I think it was high A because they needed a body, and he ended up getting into a couple games. But the approach is just solid. He's unflappable at the plate. It gives you a good at bat, game in and game out. He's the kind of guy where you could bat him first, you could bat him ninth. And, you know, either of those spots, top of the order, he, he wouldn't look out of place. He just hasn't looked like he's had any issues at the plate. I think he could be a guy that hits a lot of doubles as well. But, yeah, you know, maybe on the ground a little bit more to utilize some speed would be smart. Just because, too, it's, you know, it's a tough place to hit home runs to right field, to, you know, to the pull side for him at target field. And, you know, if he could roll the ball into the corner a little bit, you know, hit some line drives in the gaps, there might be the ability to still get some value out of balls in the air. But uh, I think you might be onto something there. Uh, I, I really like him. I don't know about him as a shortstop. You know, it's, it's a year where the Twins are not projected to contend. So they may as well figure out what they have in him defensively at shortstop in the meantime. But if he ends up at second base long-term, especially with Nick Gordon working his way up in the system, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all. And in deeper leagues, I think he can be a, a real nice pick. You know, if he hits 280, 350 on base, 400 slugging, you know, that's nothing to shake a fist at for a shortstop. And that's pretty close. In fact, I think they haven't projected for exactly 280, and the rest of the slash line's pretty close to what I haven't projected for as well. So, so that's encouraging. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. well, we got a lot more twins to talk about, and also, uh, as promised, we'll talk a little bit about score sheet and sim games as well. We've got to head to break right now, but we'll come back and talk some more twins. Welcome back to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior, and 
joined today by Brandon Warren. We've been talking twins, and Brandon writes about the twins for uh, Zone Coverage. And you can also follow Brandon on Twitter at at Brandon underscore Warren, W-A-R-N-E. So check him out uh, there. Check him out at Zone Coverage. And check him out at Fangraphs as well. He's He's all over. So... We are not all over uh, and done talking about the Twins, however. So uh, I think one of the more intriguing position battles is for a designated hitter. And I think a lot of uh, a lot of us are rooting for Byung-Ho Park because he uh, certainly lights it up when it comes to uh, some of the stat cast stats <laughs> with mm-hmm. uh, exit velocity and distance. Uh, but uh, you know, had some trouble making contact last year. So what are his chances to to help us out in fantasy this year? Well, I think they're better than I thought they were a month ago because obviously, you know, he's, he's done better this spring. The biggest issue that I had found where I broke him down was hitting pitches that came in uh, above average, 91, 92 miles per hour and up. You know, he, he homered off of, off of Michael Pineda last year. It was the only hit he had on a pitch over 95 miles per hour last year. And he's done a lot better. I think he homered off of, off a pitch that was 96 this spring and, you know, a couple, a couple big hits off pitches that have been higher velocity. And, and so I think that that gives them a better chance. You know, they'll have to add them back to the 40 man roster, but Andy Vargas is off playing in the world baseball classic. And, and I say playing loosely, he's basically sitting on the bench for, uh, I believe it's Puerto Rico. And uh, that's not helping him. He should be in camp playing for the twins so that he can show them something they did petition for and were granted a fourth option on Vargas. So, they can send him down without having to worry about passing him through waivers. He did have a nice year last year, but if you break down the splits, he hit lefties absurdly well and didn't hit righties at all. So there's not a lot of balance there. I think yard Park, excuse me, I, I mixed Young and, and Park there, but uh, I think Park <laughs> has a good chance to, to crack the lineup. And, you know, maybe he gets the chance to, to have that uh, adjustment phase in the big leagues like Jung Ho Kong was allowed. With the, with the Pirates that first year where he really came up strong in the second half. And, you know, Park got sent down, and then he had the wrist and hand injuries that, that kept him from really getting back into shape and getting back into the swing of things last year. And maybe maybe this can be his second half, uh, you know, improvement to start this year. So the Twins don't have a lot to lose by giving him run, and they don't have a lot to lose by running him through waivers again if he doesn't do well. they got Vargas as a fallback option. they got Maurer that can DH. They've got Grossman who can DH. So they got some options. I think Park, though, will probably break camp with the team. Okay, yeah, well, that's a big change from uh, just a few weeks ago when he was DFA'd. So uh, fortunes are definitely improving for, for Park. Now, uh, sticking with some of the uh, youngsters on the pitching side, we've already talked about Adalberto Mejia. Uh, talked a little bit about uh, Jose Barrios as well. And then, of course, there's also Steven Gonzalez, who has spent some time in A and could be ready perhaps some point this season, but you've got a, a pretty veteran rotation as of right now. So how many of the three do you think uh, will actually make an impact in fantasy in 2017? I think probably two. I think the, the number five spot, whoever it goes to, whether it's one of these guys or Vogelsong will be one that will be filled one of one of these guys before too long. And I think there's the Hector Santiago spot too. I just don't think it's likely Santiago finishes the year as a twin, you know, whether it's because he struggles like he did with the twins down the stretch last year, or if he gets traded because he's a free agent to be and the twins aren't contending and somebody needs a back end starter to get them to the postseason, you know, maybe like 
Texas. Um, you know, there's a chance they could trade Urban Santana. I've been maintaining that I think Urban Santana to Texas makes a ton of sense. So uh, I would say at least two of these guys, if not all three. Um, Gonzalez, obviously, again, probably need a little bit of time at AAA. He surfaced in the, the Southern League for a little while last year, won the Southern League Pitcher of the Month in August. I think he gave up like one run in 37 innings or something crazy like that. Wow. So he obviously he obviously acclimated to Double A pretty quickly, and it's going to be a quick mover. Um, you know, he was a guy that was probably going to be a first or second round pick, dropped to the Twins in the fourth, I believe, due to some off-field stuff that turned out to be a little bit, you know, overblown. And so the Twins obviously made a good pick there. And if he beats Cole Stewart to the major leagues, Cole Stewart was their first round pick that year. Um, that's going to be kind of amazing. But I think at this point, you kind of, you kind of got to guess that that's going to happen at some point this year. And, you know, uh, that's a feather in his cap, but he's also battled some, I think, uh, shoulder stuff this spring that might slow him down a little bit. So I, I'd give Barrios and Mejia the leg up, but if all three pitch, you know, 50 plus innings in the big leagues this year, I wouldn't be stunned. Oh, okay. That's more optimistic than I would have thought. Uh, you know, yeah, say, given the given the backlog, but yeah, they could they could move uh, some veterans. Uh, we'll go into the bullpen on Monday's show. We closed out our our discussion of relievers because we just recently had our fantasy draft guide, and the last installment was on relievers. And uh, Jim Finch and I were talking about non closers who could have fantasy value, either as closers and waiting or just guys who put up really good ratios. And and I dropped the name of Taylor Rogers partly just because I, I like what he did last year, but also because I don't have a whole lot of faith that Brandon Kensler is going to last the entire season as the closer. So what do you think about Kensler's status and uh, who might succeed him? I really think Kinsler is better suited putting out fires in like the sixth and seventh inning with his ground ball rates. Um, doesn't walk anybody. So you can bring him into a first and third one out and get a ground ball double play obviously no strikeouts. So it's, it's a little dicey to bring him into those situations, but I just don't see him lasting as the closer. You know, he did a fine job being thrown into the mix on a team that didn't do anything last year, but I just don't see him holding that role. Now, uh, Rogers would probably be third on my list of guys after that though. Ryan Presley's my guy and, and hopefully nobody in our score sheet league is listening right now, but that's going to be my next pick besides me here. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're not in front of me. I made sure of that. I'm not sure of that. I'm taking I'm I'm taking Ryan Presley as my third bullpen arm after Zach Britton and uh, Blake Trinan. So um, obviously a, you know a decent bullpen f- uh, foundation there. Uh, Presley double digit whiff rates on his curve and his slider. He throws in the high 90s. Came all the way back from a lat strain last year. He's Texan, which you can't understate. Those three things. Um, <laughs> let's forget about let's forget about the Texan. Let's let's focus on the fastball and the whiff rates. He's one step away from turning into a really nice late-inning reliever. And if it isn't him, it's JT Shagwa, who throws in the high 90s and had a double-digit whiff rate in September after really struggling early on. Um, really good slider as well. So I think uh, I'd put Presley and Shagwa probably ahead of Taylor Rogers. I like Rogers a lot. I'm just not convinced he can get righties out consistently enough to be a ninth-inning guy. Yeah. Well, this – Discussion for me was useful for no other reason than now I know how to properly pronounce Shagwa. Because I would have thought it yeah. was Shagwa. <laughs> well, they've, they've, they've been doing these videos with Eduardo Escobar, who doesn't know all his teammates' names due to the language barrier. He called him Shagwurt. So you call him Shagwa or Shagwurt. It's pretty funny. You have to find well, him on Facebook. Also, it's, it's hilarious. 
Okay, good. I'll, I'll have to check that out. But you also provide me with a good segue to talk about score sheet uh, with the few right. minutes that we've got left here because you were talking about uh, uh, picking up Presley for your team. Like you said, I'm looking at your roster right now. You've got uh, Britain in training. But, you know, where he falls in that pecking order won't really matter for score right. sheet. I mean, I guess, right. it, yeah, I think relievers get some sort of, you know, very small bonus if they get saves, but really it's. It's the the ratios that matter. So that's the really cool thing about score sheet, um, which is you know a format I love. But there are lots of great sim leagues out there. You know, of course, there's you know Stratomatic and, and Dynasty. Uh, you know, all all different kinds with different uh, features. But score sheet, you know, you're you're playing pretty much in, in something close to real time. You're you're playing a week's worth of actual stats uh, in a in a lump sum. Uh, you know, you play a, a week's worth of games based on the previous week's stats. So you don't have you're not drafting guys based on what they've already done. There's still that that unknown. Um, so, in terms of, of managing a uh, a pitching staff and score sheet, do you tend to go pitcher heavy, reliever heavy to have a have a, a small hook, which means that the the pitcher comes out sooner, or uh, you're just or do you just work with the personnel you have? I'd be lying if I still if I said I still really have a strong grasp on how the hook stuff works so i just kind of tweak it as the season goes on but um i like to have a lot of starters because obviously that dreaded triple a starter can really kill you um you know if, if they go if they go four and 47 that can really kill you for the, the regular season but um i've yeah. never kept a reliever I, I just like to find relievers kind of under rocks and uh you know as far as um putting a pitching staff together i just try to find relievers that strike out to strikeouts or grounders or, or something like that you know yeah, that no, makes sense. All right, well, uh, we're just uh, up against the, the bell here. So, Brandon, I just want to thank you so much for all your insight. Thank you for joining us today. Really enjoyed it. And uh, good luck to you uh, in these drafts and in your leagues this year. And thank you all, everybody, for listening. We will be back tomorrow with Jessica Kleinschmidt. So hope to see you then. Have a good one.